Chad and Jay Mansbridge here, lead pastors of Bayside Church International, based here on the south coast of South Australia. Our great passion as a church is to help people to know Jesus and to demonstrate his love, truth and life in everything that we do. We hope you enjoyed today's message. G'day guys. Good morning. Very good morning to you. And uh, this Bible's not going to... I'm going to use a Bible I don't normally use today. Not the Mormon one, just a, just a, 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 not another Bible, just another version, translation of the Bible. Uh, it's great to see you, great to be here again. Uh, those of you visiting, um, actually we've got a lot of inside, we've got a lot of people away today. Hope you're all cosy, reach out to the person next to you, touch them, let, let, them, let them know that they're not on their own here today. That's right, that's, gee, I, I won't preach to the front row, hey? Um, <laughs> my biggest fans, there you go. Um, uh, it's great to be here. Last week, uh, I heard I missed out on a fantastic Mother's Day Sunday. I saw some of your family photos that were updated uh, in our photo booth over here. So a big thank you to Jess, who organised that for us. Well done, girl. That was great. And, uh, and uh, who knows, that may even become a, a bit of a tradition for us on, on Mother's Day. And congratulations to those of you who d- dedicated some babies last uh, week as well. We traditionally, and we will again, do baby dedications on Father's Day. But I don't know if you noticed, we've had a bit of a baby boom lately and we can't fit them in one Sunday. So uh, we did Mother's Day and Father's Day this year uh, for our babies. I was in New Zealand last week, um, my Eighth year in a row going over to Christchurch to our friends Gideon and Catherine Hochendijk. <coughs> They're Dutchies. I don't know if that's how you pronounce it. How the Van Tintrens say Hochendijk? Same as you, yeah. You just <laughs> put the thing in your throat and hope nothing comes out. And um, uh, so, yeah, here's a, here's a Dutchie. She's a genuine Kiwi. They live in, live in Christchurch. And eight years, you know, it was about 10 years ago. Um, so it was just over a year. Uh, after the massive earthquake um, that, was, that was there. Can you believe it? it's been 10 years already there in Christchurch? And some of you would know, uh, especially those of you with Kiwi friends, that that continued. I mean, the tremors continued for a good year or two. Uh, and it's just been great to go back there year after year and see the city uh, really rebuild. And uh, obviously, with a lot of buildings coming down, a lot of new buildings going up, and the city is thriving. People are moving into Christchurch, and, uh, and it's become known as a foodie type of place. Uh, and uh, so, yeah, it really is, is a thriving, uh, thriving city in New Zealand, which is just really great to see. I uh, went there with Robin Glenda Rufus. Uh, again, we ministered together there about eight years in a row, as I said, and just a great combo with, uh, with Rob ministering there together. I come along and do the straight... Uh, you know, teaching line upon line, here's my three points and a PowerPoint type of thing. And Rob comes up with, a, with his sermon notes on a piece of paper about that big. It was hilarious. He came up on one of the major sessions and literally had a piece this big and it was like crumpled up and there's visiting pastors on the front going, going, row going, what is that? Glenda's next to him just going, he writes, not even the devil knows what he's going to preach. And no one, nobody can read, are going to read that. But uh, that was great. But for me, the, you know, one of the highlights of ministering other places and Rob Maureen are away today they're ministering up in town Um, you know our last preaching series here we looked at um, seven signs of a healthy church looking at Antioch a church that sent out uh, ministers to go and be a blessing beyond their borders that is something we embrace uh, here as the church family but I think one of the greatest things that I witnessed last week uh, was a dear lady that came up to me after the first day Um, I hadn't spoken on forgiveness specifically but just in having a conversation in the foyer uh, she was sharing how uh, she had a, a, 
someone in her family that was very abusive and she was struggling with this issue. I just can't forgive him. I can't, I know I can't forgive him. I know God wants me to, rah, rah, rah. And we just had a really gentle conversation. You know, you don't tell someone, I was very gentle and just, just chatted with her and I said, well, you know what you can do? You can thank Jesus who's in you that he has forgiven him. Oh, no, I can't even do that. Well, Try it. It is he who works in you to will and to act. You don't, how about you don't forgive him, but you just thank Jesus that Jesus forgives him. And she came to me the next day. She'd woken up the next morning and her whole heart, the whole weight of that had gone. She found the grace overnight, as it were, to forgive him. And she just came to me in tears. She shared on the Sunday very publicly uh, and just a, a real little miracle uh, in that family. And it was, it was such, a, such a valuable thing. And God loves the crowds. I mean, because in the crowds, there are individual people. And, uh, I, you know, I can speak to crowds, but I, I love knowing that Jesus works in the lives of the ones and the twos. And uh, both are really important. God loves you all. But God loves you each. God loves all of us. But God loves each of us. And uh, somehow in heaven, around the throne, however that whole thing works, with the multitudes that are there, there'll be moments where it's just as if it were you and him. God loves us all, and God loves us each. And, uh, and I think that's just a real precious thing. You matter to God. And I trust that whoever you are today, and wherever you're at with your relationship with Him, uh, you will progress in that relationship today. Uh, you may say you don't believe in God, as we say around here, God believes in you. And uh, we trust that you'll go at your own pace today. If you've never been to church, we really thank you for coming, because it's a very brave thing to come into a foreign environment. But we're absolutely stoked you're here. So, um, well done. And next week... We have something else quite exciting. Am I allowed to announce that, Jay? Where's my wife? Am I allowed to say that? Yeah, you've got the posters up. That's right. Jay's books have arrived from Malaysia, and uh, she's officially launching that next week. So they will be here in the house. And uh, her book's called A Glorious Canvas. And we've also got something else, uh, in uh, a bit of a surprise in store uh, next week as well, along that theme of a glorious canvas, uh, watching how the creativity of our church can be expressed in many ways. So stay tuned for that. Don't mix, miss next Sunday. All right. But anyway, I'm not living in the future. I'm living today. Um, I prepared a really good message today. And you're not getting it. Because Jehovah, I changed my mind, got me, woke me up this morning and, uh, and uh, you know how much I love spontaneity. And, um, and uh, I just had a whole, I just, I just did not feel right that, that what I planned to preach today, PowerPoints and everything, I mean, it was very impressive. Uh, it was stuff from my new book, it was like new content, you know, like, ooh, I get to, you know, ooh, never heard that before, Chad, for those of you who've been around for years. Um, but uh, I just really felt like something else on my heart uh, today that I really needed to speak into. And Erin kind of uh, mentioned it just now. Today, for me and for others who've joined me, a 21-day fast comes to an end. And uh, when I s announced that fast 21, well, yeah, three weeks ago, I haven't had a pulpit opportunity uh, to actually speak in, in any way on prayer or fasting or anything like that. Rachel spoke uh, that week after Easter, then we had Rob Rufus here, and then Mother's Day last week. And this morning I just woke up uh, with that, that concept in my mind from James chapter 5 
that the prayer of a righteous man or the prayer of righteous people can achieve many, many great things. And uh, I felt like God put on my heart just this morning, I really need to speak in and around the subject of prayer. And so I'm going to be doing that today. If you have your Bible, turn to James 5. I threw this together at 5 a.m. this morning. So, um, you know, some of the best meals you have are like that, hey? They're not well planned. They just, let's whack this together and see what comes out. Oh, come on, we can do it, we can do it. However, it's going to be very Chad anyway. I'm going to be, do some teaching, we're going to walk through the verses, some verses in James, and then I'm going to do some preaching, and I even uh, spent five minutes putting a PowerPoint together so it didn't look like I was completely disorganized, uh, although I very much am. All right, amen. Are you ready? Have you found James 5? I'm reading from the uh, New Living Translation today. And uh, I've got it in front of me. I think if my font's big enough, I'll, I'll do that. The book of James is um, uh, fascinating. It's a bit of a standout in the New Testament. Um, it's written by Jesus' brother. Okay, so there's a couple of Jameses in the Bible. In fact, the word James, there actually are no Jameses in the Bible. Okay, that's an English word. Uh, his name is Jacob or Jacob. Okay, there it is again. Uh, so his name's Jacob. So no one was work, walking around the first century saying, G'day, James. They were all saying, G'day, G'day, yeah, sure. They were all saying, G'day, Jacob. So his name's actually Jacob. It's Jesus' brother or half-brother if you, if you uh, want to be strict. James, who was one of the 12, uh, who was John's brother, the, uh, the fisherman, he got his head cut off by Herod in Acts chapter 2, all right? So he gets killed. He's one of the very first Christian martyrs in the book of Acts. And then this James is introduced to us uh, in the story of the Antioch church, okay? When uh, non-Jewish people are coming to Jesus and Paul goes down to chat in Jerusalem with the guys down there and James, after a whole bunch of discussions, stands up and says, all right, everyone's had their say, here's the call, okay? Here's, here's the call that I'm making. So it's most likely that James. One of the things about this letter is it is probably one of the earliest epistles we have. Most people date it in the early 40s, Okay, so it's pretty early on, but it doesn't read very well like a letter. It's not structured well. Most of the letters in the New Testament are written by the Apostle Paul, who's very structured, highly educated man, Greek thinking. So he, he writes, you know, he's very linear. You know, there's a beginning, a middle and an end. Love it. And uh, you just systematically follow it through, okay? It makes sense. Then you've got John, who's like, mm -hmm, he's on another field. He does his sort of own thing, okay? And then you've got James, and this letter... Uh, a lot of theologians and, and uh, Bible scholars and whatever really struggle to put a structure to it. It doesn't fit neatly into a structure. Yeah, right at the start, he said, this is from James and I'm writing to the scattered tribes of Israel, but there's no greetings, there's no logical sequence, okay? He just jumps from one thought to the next and then suddenly at the end, it's just all over and it just sort of finishes with no sort of nice closure. And it occurred to me last year, and you can look this up, I don't, I don't know how many other people think this, but I think it's probably best looked at as not a letter from James, but rather a collection of sayings. Now, that's just how it reads. There's paragraphs of sayings. He talks about this subject, and then a totally different subject, boom, talks about something else. He also addresses different audiences. On one hand, he's talking to Jewish Christians, and then all of a sudden he's saying, now listen, you sinners, and you adulterers, and you rich people. Okay, so he's talking to another group of people. So it seems to me like it's a throw-together group of proverbs that James was known for. At least that's how I read it, and that's how I believe it's best understood. I'm going to read the last 
some of the last chapter of James on the subject of prayer here in chapter 5. That was all free and just to get used to my talking. <laughs> As if you aren't already. Verse 13, are any of you suffering hardships? You should pray. Are any of you happy? Then you should sing praises. The, the word here for pray, and this is where it's good to have a read the Bible on the computer program like Bible Hub or a Blue Letter Bible, something like that. When you click there on the word pray, there's different words for the word pray in the New Testament, and this one's a composite word. It is pro something. And the something means petition or request, and the pro means, well, basically to be front-footed. It means to actively do something. So, are any of you suffering? Then be proactive in prayer. All right? Any of you suffering? Be proactive in prayer. Are any of you happy? Then you should sing praises. The word there in the Greek is psalmleto. You should sing a psalm. In fact, it can even mean you should play an instrument, a, a, a stringed instrument. If you're happy, give praise. If you're struggling, pray. If you're happy, give praise. Next verse. Are any among you sick? Then you should call for the elders of the church to come and pray over you, anointing you with oil in the name of the Lord. Some of you have probably heard this, but very common in Palestine and other places of the world, uh, when shepherds would have sheep. Wow. Yeah, I know, it's amazing. Um, shepherds would have sheep. Uh, one of the things they'll do to protect them and look after them is take oil. This is why the, you know, Jewish people are big on olive oil in the Mediterranean area and whatever, right? So they take olive oil and they'd rub the oil over the head of the sheep and by making the wool really slick and sticky and whatever it would stop uh, bugs from coming in and basically nesting okay, in their wall or chewing out their ears or getting into their brain or, or anything feral like that. Okay. So this anointing oil was like a, a protective mechanism and most people think that you know, James may be alluding to that by having elders who are also known in different parts of the Bible as shepherds. Okay. Those of you who are sick or those of you who are weak, some translations say, call for the elders of the church to pray over you, anointing you with oil, in the name of the Lord. And as I said, some translations don't use the word sick. It doesn't necessarily mean a physical illness. It may just need mean a weakness. And so we've gone from people who are struggling, who should be proactive in praying, to people who are weak, and maybe actually so weak, you actually can't even bring yourself to pray. And you should say, you know what? I actually really needed someone to pray for me. Call an elder to come and anoint you with oil. Let's keep going. Verse 15. And their prayer, offered in faith, will heal the sick and the Lord will make them well. And anyone who's committed sins will be forgiven. So... James is obviously talking to Christian people, because elders of the church that come and pray. Such a prayer offered by an elder, even if that person is so weak, they don't have faith. You've got to have faith. 
Well, maybe the only faith you have is to read this scripture and go, I'm feeling so weak right now, I, want, I need someone else to pray for me. It seems to be what he's saying. The prayer offered in faith will heal the sick or heal the weak. The Lord will make you well. And if you've committed any sins, you will be forgiven. It's interesting in this scripture how almost every verse about forgiveness in the New Testament for the Christian is written in the past tense. Paul says, you have been forgiven at the cross. Here, it's, pre- it's future tense. You will be forgiven. So we need to be careful here that we don't jump to the conclusion that this is talking about God forgiving. It might be a horizontal forgiveness he's talking about. Let's keep reading. If you've committed any sins, you will be forgiven. So confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you might be healed. Here's my take on this. Few reasons to have someone stand with you and pray for you, and particularly in this case, calling a shepherd, calling a leader. Number one, you just feel like you're too weak to pray for yourself. Okay? Number two, when that weakness is self-inflicted, and part of actually getting strong is to say, I actually need to take ownership of my part in this weakness. Not saying that God punishes the Christian for doing bad stuff, because God punished Jesus for our bad stuff. But sometimes we punish ourselves. And sometimes the weakness that we experience, because we've made a mistake, is not confessing sin so that God, to someone else so that God will forgive us. God's already forgiven us at the cross. But there are times where our stupid decisions, our sin, missing the mark, okay, has, we have self-inflicted weakness that comes upon us. And sometimes that weakness is actually a conscience that goes, gee, I was stupid, I did the wrong thing, I not only hurt myself, I also hurt others. And it's not enough for our conscience and confidence sake just to confess it to God. Because sometimes it's not only just against God that you've done wrong. We've done wrong. We've done wrong against others. Sometimes the weakness that we experience, that weariness that we've experienced when we've done something wrong that eats us up inside, is actually because our conscience is not clear before other people that we need to say, I did wrong by you. That kind of makes sense? Come on, you all know what it's like to have that niggly feeling to go, I've just got to come clear on this. <laughs> I've just got to come clear on this. I know Jesus forgave me at the cross. I don't take his forgiveness lightly. I thank God for his forgiveness. I don't ask it from him because he's never withholding it from me. That's my personal take. I thank God that he forgave me 2,000 years ago and I walk in that cleansing. But for other people, there might be occasions, there are occasions where I go, you know what? I'm just struggling with this. This is killing me. I did the wrong thing. I blah, 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 blah. And I'm asking you to forgive me. Because there's something between us that's causing me just to suffer in this self-inflicted weakness. Does that make sense? There is differences, we read the scripture, between vertical implications and horizontal implications. 
Okay, so you've heard me say this before in Hebrews. When the scripture says, um, do everything you can. Yeah, it's in the Greek. It says, do everything you can to live at peace with all men and to be holy. Because without holiness, no one will see the Lord. That is not a vertical implication scripture. If I do not live holy, that will not stop me from seeing the Lord. Jesus' holiness guarantees I will see the Lord. Because His holiness to me is a gift. Jesus is my holiness. But I will make every effort to live at peace with all men and to be holy before all men... Because without me living holy, no one will see the Lord in me. Live holy, because without holiness, no one will see the Lord. I will live holy, not so that I will see the Lord, because Jesus' holiness guarantees that. I live holy so that you will see the Lord in me. So there are vertical implication scriptures and horizontal implication scriptures. And this one is a horizontal. Confess your sins to one another. You're feeling weak. Something's robbing your conscience. Okay. And you know you've done blood of Jesus, blood of Jesus, blood of Jesus. I know God loves me. But why am I feeling niggly? Well, it's because you haven't just wronged God. You've actually maybe wronged someone else. And you just say, listen, I didn't represent our family well when I did that. I, whatever, whatever, whatever. And then a wholeness can come to you. It is not God punishing you. It's just the natural way things go. When we behave unhealthy, we live unhealthy. It's not God doing it. It's the natural order of things. Self-inflicted. Does that make sense? This is why we see in the... Old Testament, before the law came at Mount Sinai, when God's people collected manna, when they were not supposed to, it went rotten and stunk, and everyone suffered the consequences of it, but it wasn't God cursing them for that, it was just the natural thing that happened when you don't do stuff God's way. When you don't do stuff God's way, there's a natural order that says, poo's going to happen to you. And you're going to smell it, okay? Because <laughs> it's stinky booze. Uh, and that's just what happened. It wasn't God judging them. It was God saying, well, you listen to me. I'm wiser than you are. Who do you think you are? Okay. Then the law comes at Mount Sinai. And from then on, when they break the Sabbath and do the wrong thing, God literally, physically goes out of his way to punish them because they're under a covenant of judgment. You and I are not under a covenant of God's judgment. We are under a covenant of grace where God will not punish you for your sin, but you can still punish yourself if you're stupid enough. And as a preacher, I shouldn't say that. I should say, we punish ourselves if we are stupid enough because I include myself in on that good lesson for a preacher. Okay. Does that make any sense? Let's keep reading because now we're up to the prayer bit. Verse 16. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and wonderful results. If you are in Christ today, you are a righteous person. Because righteousness, Romans says, is a gift in the gospel. In the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed that is from, from beginning to end. Okay, Righteousness is a gift. Jesus is our righteousness. Therefore, this verse is for you. The earnest prayer of a righteous man does, works great power and wonderful results. For example, remember that bloke called Elijah. He was as human as we are. 
interesting translation. And yet when he prayed earnestly that no rain would fall, none fell for three and a half years. Then he prayed for rain and down it poured. The grass turned green and the crops began to grow again. Elijah was as human with we, as we are. Yeah, okay, I'm not sure I like that. Get your Bible program, click on the word. And that word where it says Elijah was just like us or human as we are or whatever is the word homo something. I can't remember what it is. I'm not Greek, right? But it means same in, experience, in, in the experiences of suffering. He's not, it's not just saying he's human, like he's got two arms and two legs. It meant... He, I don't know why I did that. Uh, it, he said... It's the, he's the same in his suffering. Elijah was a man who experienced the same suffering that James's audience were experiencing, and yet he prayed and God did awesome stuff. So now you've got to ask yourself, what was James going through where he experienced the same suffering as the audience in the early 40s that James was writing to, or his, this saying was for? Elijah was a man who was part of a culture that was deeply corrupt. Elijah, in his day, politics was run, while we're on the subject, by a king called Ahab, whose wife's name was Jezebel. It was one of the darkest times of Israel's history. At this point, when Elijah's around, God's people are split into two groups, okay? Because King David and King Solomon have died, and now God's people are split into two camps, okay? Guys down in Jerusalem uh, called Judah with David's mob. The guys up north, this is where Elijah is, and these guys, man, they, they've got a hell of a history. It's mostly, mostly bad, 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 bad. And Ahab was probably one of the worst of the worst. Elijah suffered there because he was a righteous person who wanted to serve God and was involved in an environment where people were just rebelling against God's ways. He was involved in a corrupt culture. What's James doing? He's writing to people, Jewish people in the first century who, who want to live to honour their God, but they're aware the, the community around them is very corrupt. So, Elijah is a man who has suffered, this is, this is what that human as we are really means, it's, he had the same suffering that we had. In fact, those of you who have a Bible, if you just go to verse 10, uh, go back a few uh, verses there in chapter 5, verse 10, it says, For examples in patience in suffering, look at the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. So James actually prefaces, but what he's about to say to say, there are prophets in the Old Testament that were patient in suffering. What was Elijah's suffering? It was an, uh, an internal uh, pain that he went through of identifying with a culture that was going downhill fast. So what did he do? He whinged about it. Elijah got on a Facebook and had a big rant. <laughs> Elijah prayed. He was a man who was suffering, knowing that the culture he was living in was living far below its potential. And what did that Elijah do? It said he prayed earnestly. Elijah prayed earnestly. And I mentioned to some of you just before, that one of the ways you need to read your New Testament is to treat things like this as hyperlinks. When you read something in the New Testament, ah, I don't need you anyway, when you, and it says Elijah did this, you think, 
well, that's interesting. I'm going to go back to the Old Testament now and read that for myself. So when it says Elijah prayed earnestly that it wouldn't rain, you then go back and you read 1 Kings 17 and ask yourself, well, what did that prayer look like? What does James mean he prayed earnestly? And this is what you find, 1 Kings 17 verse 1. Elijah the Tishbite from Tishbe and Gilead said to King Ahab, as the Lord the God of Israel lives whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years until I speak next. That's it. That is his earnest praying. Doesn't say anything else. Doesn't say he prayed for two years in his prayer closet. Doesn't he say, doesn't say he called heaven down with instruments and drums. Doesn't say he you know, lit fires or anything. This is what he did. He went to the king and he says, this is how it is. That is his earnest prayer. This is a type of prayer that isn't asking God for stuff, it's announcing stuff that you know is God's will. It's like a pronouncement, not a petition. There's many different types of prayer in the Bible. So the earnest prayer that Elijah prayed when he, when he prayed earnestly there'll be no rain was actually a proclamation to say, this is how it's going to be like it or not. I'm in charge, I'm the man of God, here's the word of the Lord, this is how it's going to be. Good, aren't you glad we hyperlinked? Then, as you keep reading James, it says he also prayed that there would be rain after three and a half years. And when you go and read that story, this is on Mount Carmel. Remember when he does the whole Baal worship thing and fire comes down and says, yeah, let's go. you Baal guys go over there, my God will come, the God who answers in fire is God. And he says, and after they try to do their thing and nothing happens, he says, all right, God, show your stuff. Roar, bam, bam, fire comes, burns up everything. Elijah's the hero. Ah, awesome. Then he runs away and he finds himself up on the bluff. All right, And he's up there and God says, I'm going to come and speak to you. And wind comes, fire comes, earthquake comes. And then God whispers to him. And the voice was in the whisper. Then he begins to pray. And he begins to pray for rain. And it says in that story, he got down on his knees and he prayed, 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 prayed. Then he got up and he told his mate, go check, go see what's happening. Came back and he said, nothing. Roger that. Pray, 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 pray. Go up, have a look, see what's happening. Came back nothing. Got down on his knees. Pray, 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 pray. Go have a look. What's happening? Mm, nothing. What are we up to? Three? Try again. Seven times he does that. Seventh time the guy comes back and he says, I think there might be a cloud, just to try to make Elijah feel better. And it, well, maybe this big, you know. And Elijah's like, that's it. That's my answer. When he prayed for rain to not come, he just announced it. Boom, that's how it is. When he prayed for rain to come, it wasn't a pronouncement, it was persistent prayer until the answer came. Elijah was a man who understood the same suffering that we do, quote. He understood what it was like to live in a culture that was living well below its potential in serving God. And what did he do? He announced things and he kept on praying for others. And the prayer of a righteous man can do incredible things. And everyone said, I'm going to finish with points, so you know it's a proper sermon. Three types of prayer. 
Let's go. Number one is praise. James 5, powerful prayers of the righteous, praise. This is basically what we did this morning. Our God who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. What a great type of prayer, just praising God. And this is, this is basically what Elijah did on Mount Carmel when he said, you're the awesome God, you're the best God. He praised God out loud so that others could hear. First incredible type of prayer that we should all lay a hold of is just praise because it's always putting God first. Number two, what else did Elijah do? He proclaimed. Another type of prayer is just proclamation. When you realize that you're God's son, not God's little child, but you're God's adult son or adult daughter, and like Joseph who wore Pharaoh's signet ring, you have the authority of your father. That signet ring is like a signature ring. Joseph could go to the market or go anywhere and say, listen, I want you to do this and I do it on Pharaoh's authority. There's my ring. Okay. So in the same way, there are times when you are confident of God's will in a situation, you don't ask God to do something, you can speak, this is going to happen. Now that, that's what Elijah demonstrates. He said, this is what's going to happen. It's a proclamation. It is a great way to, quote, pray. You hear what heaven says, you know God's will, and you speak it out. And we could talk about that for hours. Number three, another type of prayer is obviously petition. And uh, possibly this is what Elijah was doing those seven times, where he just prayed and prayed and prayed. And the Bible has much to say about persistent petitioning prayer. And how many of you have had prayers answered after persistent, persistently, just constantly, just regularly pushing into God for it? Come on, give me a show of hands. Anyone? Anyone? Well, okay, there you go. Ask them, okay? They've got some great stories. <laughs> Next one, five types of prayer, five areas we can pray into. Use your thumb. Your thumb is your biggest finger. Well, actually, no, it's not your biggest. Well, it's your biggest, but it's different to the others, okay? When you look at your thumb, you know that the first thing when you pray is you just pray and direct it to God. Praise, worship, adore Him. What five areas can we direct our prayers into? The first one is just worshipping, thanking, adoring, honouring God for who He is. That is always one of my favourite, really, areas to pray into. You're just speaking to Him. Two, you use your pointing finger. What should we pray for? Anything your finger can point to. Anything, anyone. You're driving your car, you pray for that business. Someone else drives past you, you pray for them. You pray for anyone, uh, regardless of their family structure. You pray for married people. You pray for divorced people. You pray for single people. You pray for mixed families. You pray for anyone, despite their religion. You pray for Christians. You pray for Catholics. You pray for Hindus. You pray for the Muslim community. You pray for the, the staunchest of atheists. You pray for them all. You pray for businesses. You pray for even poor power supporters. You pray for anyone and anyone your finger can point to. Everything in the world around you, you pray. You pray for for other businesses that are in competition with you. You pray for other schools or the ones that your kids don't even go to. Anywhere you point, you just pray and say, Lord, I declare your blessing in that space. Number three, your tallest finger stands out above the rest. This finger reminds you to pray for those in authority. Those who, as it were, stand head and shoulders above the rest of us and are often cut down to size because of it. Yeah? We struggle in Australia sometimes with authority and, and disrespect 
But uh, we know that the scriptures tell us, 1 Timothy 2, pray for all those in authority. And this, this morning, no matter who's in power and no matter who you voted for, uh, we should be praying for our leaders. Pray for Rebecca Sharkey, pray for ScoMo, pray for whoever else is, that you know by name in the, in the Senate or whatever. Let's pray for those who take on leadership responsibility. It's your tallest finger, pray for those in authority. Fourth finger, this is your covenant finger. Pray for those in your family. Pray for those that you are connected with in covenant. That can be your church family. That can be, obviously, your natural family. Pray for those that God has joined you to in family. Look at your fourth finger and remember, that's who I'm praying for today. Lastly, your fifth finger, direct your prayers to the vulnerable. Your fifth finger is the weakest. It's the easiest to break. Okay, It's the most vulnerable one. We should be praying for the vulnerable in our community and the vulnerable in our world. And there's so many scriptures I could use to, to support that. We pray for the weak and we pray for the frail. And everybody said... Last points. This is like three messages in one. I told you, I just threw a bunch of stuff together. How does God speak to us when we pray? Well, sometimes He speaks with fire... Because that's the way he's always spoken to us. And sometimes he speaks with a whisper, even though we may never have heard him use that method before. So what's the first way that God speaks to us when we pray? He speaks to us the same way. And he speaks to us in different ways. And this is what Elijah experienced when he was at the mountain and the fire came. You think, well, that's how God speaks. That's how he spoke to me when I was doing the Baal worship thing. No, nah, not in the fire. What about the earthquake and the wind? That's how God speaks. That's how he spoke at Mount Sinai with Moses, after all. God speaks like that. No. Nah. I speak the same way, but sometimes I mix it up, and I will answer your prayers in a different way. So be open to hearing me in a way that you may not have heard me before. Because you may be praying, and God's already given the answer and you're still calling for fire when God's whispering the words that you need to hear. God will answer in the same way, but times He will answer different. Number two, sometimes God will answer immediately. That's my favorite. This is when Elijah stands on Mount Carmel and he said, the God who answers by fire is God, and he just says one prayer and bam, fire comes. I like it a lot. Sometimes he answers gradually. And it, that he, he, he wants, he, that is that perpetual prayer of go check again, go check again, go check again, go check again. And slowly that rain cloud comes until the rain finally comes. Don't be put off because last time God answered you, he spoke immediately. Oh, I prayed for it once. That's it. It's over. No, 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 maybe God wants to answer this one gradually and he's want to work, work a muscle in you that you need to develop in this situation. Yeah. Yeah. Lastly, sometimes God answers dramatically. Wow, that was obvious. Wow, that was God. Wow, fire from heaven, awesome. Sometimes he answers discreetly. Sometimes he answers again in that whisper where sometimes he answers your prayers publicly and almost vindicates you in front of others. This is very public, this answer to prayer. Other times, nobody else knows. 
because you're just Elijah whinging somewhere under a tree and he provides for you. You're just Elijah locked away on a mountain by yourself having a bit of an emotional breakdown but his whisper comes to you and nobody else knows about it. And I think most all of us know what that's like. Some of those are the most powerful moments, aren't they? And you think, I'm not even sure I can share this moment with somebody else. That's sometimes how God will speak to you. Your prayers are powerful. They take different forms and God's responses can also take different forms. But I want to encourage you, while we have finished a 21-day season, as it were, of focus prayer, we had three special prayer meetings over that, over that three weeks, and some of you in, in all different ways got on board with that. Uh, I want to encourage you, let's continue to be a church community that understands the power of the words that come out of our mouth, whether they are praising Him, whether they're proclaiming things we know to be true, or whether they are literally asking God for things. Let's continue to be a praying and a prayerful community. Can you say amen to that? I hope you've enjoyed today's message. Remember to check us out at baysidechurch.org.au. And of course, if you're ever in the area, please pop in and say good day. Bye.